Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. So you're finding your place there in God's Word. I do want to welcome those who are joining us via our live stream. We have many who join us on a weekly basis, and we're grateful uh, that you're able to participate in that way. I also want to welcome the venue service meeting right down the hall in Reach Church DeSoto. As well, I want to say a word of gratitude to Pastor Kelly, bringing the word last weekend and did a great job. And uh, then I was out at DeSoto and, uh, last weekend and got to hear Pastor Ryan preach the latter portion of chapter two and did a marvelous job. I will say, as Ryan made mention last week over at DeSoto, I'm not the only one who has a tendency to go long. Um, Ryan went a little over his time. So we, uh, but... Uh, he did a great job. I'm just joking. He did a great job, and we're so grateful for our staff and our team and their ability to deliver God's word in that way. Well, 1 Samuel chapter 3. One other thing. We have a couple of events this week I do want to make mention of. Um, men's worship night, Tuesday night. Men's worship night, Tuesday night. If you're able to be here, it'll be a great time of fellowship. The goal of this is to plug men into discipleship. Some of you have been discipled. Some of you have been walking with the Lord. You've had others kind of carry you along, and you're a place where you want to become a disciple maker. We want to get you plugged in. Others of you, maybe you've known the Lord for some time, but nobody's ever kind of come alongside you, help you understand how to study God's Word, how to apply it into your daily life, and, and become a disciple maker yourself, and we want to help you. And uh, So it'll be a great time. We're going to worship um, at about 6.45. It'll start at 6. We're going to have dinner from 6 to 6.45, 6.45 at worship, and then I'm going to be preaching um, on what it, what it means to be a disciple of Christ, and then we'll have a time just of fellowship and networking. Then on Thursday night, the women's uh, group will meet. They call theirs dwell. They're a lot more creative than us men. We just call it men's worship night. Um, that's all we got. That's all I could come up with. The women is dwell, and they're looking at the I am statements of Jesus. And, and so, ladies, if you're able to be here, please RSVP if you're planning to be a part of those events so we make sure we have enough meals for everybody who's atten <clears throat> excuse me, attending. 1 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10 this morning. You remember in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, Hannah has declared God's sovereign. God is in charge. Uh, that God has the ability to raise up. God has the ability to bring low. And the rest of that chapter, as we looked at it last week, you see that principle playing itself out. Eli and his sons, they have taken a position of religious authority that God has given to them, and they've used it to line their pockets, fill their bellies, and uh, satisfy their sexual desires. They've, they're abusing God's people in a position of religious authority. And God is about to bring them very low. God is watching. And so what you saw last week, in fact, the end of chapter two, there's a man of God who comes and essentially says to Eli, you're fired. And in chapter three, he's going to hand him his pink slip. And in chapter four, they're going to be dead. Listen, God opposes the proud. Specifically, when you look at a position as religious uh, leadership and authority, uh, you remember Jesus said, um, I believe in Matthew 18, he said, um, anyone abuses these little children, it would be better to have an upper millstone tied around your neck and drown in the depths of the sea. I mean, you take a position of religious authority and you use that position to abuse my children, it'd be better if you hadn't been born. Here's men that have been abusing a position of religious authority, and God is watching, and God will bring them low. 
And yet in the midst of all that, what did we also see? Last week in chapter two, these little staccato statements, you're seeing all the immorality and the wickedness of Eli's sons, but in the midst of it, these little staccato statements, Samuel's faithful. Unfaithfulness of Eli and his sons and the faithfulness of Samuel. And God gives grace to the humble and God is about to raise up this little boy in a dramatic way, not just to be the head of the prophetic order, but to inaugurate uh, the monarchy of Israel. Really what you see here, if you want to kind of, uh, I've kind of titled this the call of, of Samuel, part one, part two, uh, we'll look at later. Um, but this is the way to greatness. What does it look like to be great in God's eyes? What does it mean for a Christian to be successful? That's what you see in Samuel. You want to know what success looks like in God's eyes? You want to know what greatness looks, at God, looks like in God's eyes? Watch Samuel. With that in mind, let's pray together. We'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come to your word. We don't take it lightly. Certainly, we are humbled that we have your word in front of us. And Lord, we count it a great joy to live in a nation where we still enjoy great freedom. We can come openly and freely today and open your word and hear from you. I pray, Lord, that you would calm our hearts, help us to lay aside anything that would distract us from hearing your voice today. God, I pray that you would speak to each of us individually. pray that you would speak to us corporately. We need to hear your voice. Holy Spirit, speak through your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, look at verse 1. It says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli... And word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. The first thing that you see here as you look at Samuel's life is he's simply ministering uh, before the Lord. He's simply being faithful in the ordinary activities of his life, taking care of the articles in the temple. Essentially, he's carrying Eli's bag. The picture here is that Samuel is not on some kind of career track. He's not uh, manipulating and maneuvering the circumstances to try to set himself up to attain a position that he's been longing for. The one thing that you see in Samuel's life is the only thing that he really longs for is faithfulness to God. Nothing wrong with being ambitious. Just make sure that the one thing that you're most ambitious for is the glory of God. Here is Samuel. He's just being faithful, and and God is going to raise him up. It's a picture that we see in all the the great men and women of Scripture that, that, that greatness is just almost kind of something that they back into. That the story of their life is not just a career path, it's just being faithful, and greatness is an interruption. In fact, we see this in Joseph's life. You remember Joseph, he just serving his father, then he goes and serves in Potiphar's house, and then he goes and serves in prison. Wherever he went, he just sought to be faithful. He just sought to be a servant. And then God says, we're gonna raise him up, and he becomes prime minister over all of Egypt. You see it in David's life. We're gonna study it later in Samuel. Uh, David just seeks to be faithful. He's gonna be faithful to his father. He's gonna be faithful as a shepherd. He's gonna run a Meals on Wheels program out to his brothers on the front lines of the battle. No matter where he went, David wasn't seeking to be king. He wasn't seeking to have a position of great authority. He was just seeking to be faithful. That's the picture that we see of Samuel. And, and, and I think if I'm... Take a moment just to speak to young men and women. You want to be great, be faithful in the little things. 
You want to have success as a believer in Jesus Christ, the key is to be faithful every day in the ordinary activities of life. The question I would have, are you being faithful in reading God's word? Are you being faithful in prayer? If you're a student, are you seeking to be the best student you can possibly be? In your vocational life, are you seeking to be the best employee that you can possibly be? See, here's the picture. If you're not faithful in the little things, why would God give you trust with the big things? The picture of Scripture is that great men and women are great because they're faithful in the small things. And God interrupts their life and puts them in a position of greatness. So we see this picture of faithfulness in Samuel, and he's faithful in the midst of an of a unfaithful situation. Uh, it says the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. Meaning that the spiritual climate of Samuel's day was not conducive to spiritual growth. It's not like Samuel could say, you know, you know why I'm great spiritually? Because, boy, I had a great home life and everybody, I just, God leaves examples all around me. No, the fact of the matter is that, number one in the nation, Eli and his sons, they've dropped the ball. They were intended to be the voice of God to the nation, to hear from God and declare his word that it might become a lamp into their feet and a light into their path that the nation would produce these people who are like trees firmly planted by streams of water because the word of God is being delivered. And, and yet they've dropped the ball and it's as if God in an act of judgment just kind of turns off the spigot. You don't want me? I'll just stop talking and we'll see how you do from there. It's a very dangerous place to be where the word of God becomes rare. I don't care if you're talking about your individual life, your family, a church, or a nation. When the word of God is rare, it's a bad day. Because when you have no word of God, everything is subjective. There's no truth. Man becomes autonomous. And everybody does what is right in their own eyes. That's why it's so important for us as a church that on a weekly basis we gather together corporately and we put the word of God in front of us. Visibly, we speak it audibly because it's the key to our success. In fact, I can tell you today, you, you want to get a gauge where you're at spiritually speaking? You want to get a good picture of your spiritual health? Then the question would be, how pervasive or how scarce is the word of God in your life today? You get a really quick picture of how healthy you are as a believer in Jesus Christ. You want to look at the, your home, your family, how pervasive, how scarce is the word of God. We want to look at our nation, how pervasive, how scarce is the word of God. You want to know about our church, how pervasive, how scarce is the word of God. But Samuel, he's in a climate that's neglecting the word of God, neglecting their responsibility. The two examples, his contemporaries, I guess if you want to call them that, Hophni and Phinehas, on a daily basis, what he is watching is two young men who are walking in immorality. And yet despite the cultural climate of his day, Samuel will stand alone and he will stand true and faithful to God and to his word. That's to be us, regardless of what our culture does. We stand firm upon the word of God. But here's the picture of Samuel. He's just walking in faithfulness in the ordinary activities of life, despite the fact that his, his, his climate, the nation around him is experiencing a spiritual famine. Look at verse two, it says, it happened at that time Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he couldn't see well. 
The picture here of Eli is that he's lying down. Instead of being active in service to the Lord, he's lying down. He's sleeping on the job. Later on, we learn that he's grown rather large. He's grown fat off the sacrifices of the people. There's no spiritual or physical vigor in this man. It's a sad picture. In fact, the picture that I have of Eli is very similar to the picture that I have of Isaac. Eli is just kind of coasting to the finish. Certainly, this is a man that at one point or another, he heard the voice of God in his life because he tells Samuel how to respond when you do hear God calling you. But he's begun to coast. He's, he's grown lazy. He's grown spiritually lazy. He's not been willing to do the tough and difficult things of, of declaring the truth of God's word to a nation that probably didn't want to hear it. In fact, you get to the beginning of chapter 4, Samuel's going to declare the word of the Lord's going to come to the nation through Samuel. And guess what they do? Nothing. Because I think the picture is in chapter 4, they despise the word of God. They don't want to hear it. It's not easy to declare the truth of God's word. Eli's fallen down on the job. He's, he's, not, he's neglected his responsibility as his father. Is it easy to discipline your children? Parents, do we say, boy, I just can't wait to discipline my kids. It's a whole lot easier to turn a blind eye, isn't it? To just let it go. I don't really want to do that. I don't like conflict. I'd rather not cause a problem with my children and let it go. This man has grown spiritually and physically lazy in every aspect of his life, and he just kind of coasts into the finish. In fact, it says his eyesight has grown dim. He's supposed to be the light of God to the nation, and yet the lights have gone out. His eyesight is dim. This is a man who mistook Hannah for a drunkard. He's a man who can't see the spiritual wickedness, the immorality of his own sons. In fact, Matthew Henry says he's probably grown blind because he's been winking so much at the immorality and the sinfulness of his boys. It's a sad picture. He's, he's meant to be honored. This is a man who's meant to be a blessing, and yet he's become an embarrassment. He's old and, and lazy and blind. And just as I spoke earlier to young men and women who are seeking to be great for God, and the key is just faithfulness to the ordinary activities of your life, there's a word here for senior saints, and the word for senior saints is don't coast to the line. You cannot ever take your foot off the spiritual pedal of pursuing God in his word and faithfulness in your life, regardless of how difficult it might become. And so a sad picture here of Eli kind of coasting and missing the mark. Look at verse 3. It says, And the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. While it's an incredibly dark situation, the light has not completely gone out. The lamp of God, even in the midst of the spiritual darkness, God's light, God's lamp is still shining. Why? Because the word of God is still there. See, the, 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 the light of God's word never goes out. All flesh is like grass and its glory, like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers Fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The light has not gone out because God is faithful, and God has this little boy who's faithful. It's not much, but little is much in the hands of God. And so, in the midst of this darkness, the light of God begins to shine through a humble little boy who's seeking faithfulness. The lamp of God never goes out in the midst of the darkest days of Christianity. In fact, nations and countries where they've tried to ban the word of God. 
The word of God still exists. It still shines in the midst of even the darkest places. You go to Russia where they tried to ban the word of God. You go to China where they tried to ban the word of God. I think it was Henry of Basil who said the word of God is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. The word of God endures forever. And where there is the word of God, there is hope. And so even in the midst of this dark situation, the light of God is shining. The word of God is going forth through a young man named Samuel. He's a little spark. And the picture that I looked at is I look at Samuel and the light of God not going out. You have Samuel, uh, kind of like when you're starting a fire and you get a fire going and you just see a little spark and a little ember. And what do you do? You just blow on that ember and it just goes. And God's going to take this little ember of Samuel who's seeking faithfulness. The light of God in his light and life and, and God's going to blow on it. He's going to fan a flame. A movement of God amongst this nation. It reminded me in the Middle Ages, in the darkness of the Middle Ages, when the word of God was rare. There were men like Jean Hus and Savonarola and later Martin Luther, little flickers of light who loved the word of God and God would blow on that little spark and it would, it would begin a movement of God. Here we see Samuel walking in faithfulness. Look at verse four through seven. It says that the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I, I didn't call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But, but he answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord been revealed to him. Three times God calls to Samuel, and what sticks out to me most is that every time Samuel responds immediately, and he runs. Now, now let me ask you a question. How many of you immediately and joyfully get up when somebody awakens you in the middle of the night? You look at this picture of Samuel, it's, it's, it's astounding, Three times, over and over again, on every occasion, he not only gets up, he runs to be attentive to a senile old man. Certainly, we know it's God who's calling him, and Samuel doesn't know that. In fact, it, that makes it more compelling. If he knew that it was God, we would say, well, sure, sure he's getting up and running. But he doesn't know it's God. He thinks it's Eli. I mean, put yourself in Samuel's shoes. He's serving an old senile man, and yet whenever he hears his call, he doesn't complain, he doesn't argue, he doesn't make accusation. He simply responds immediately, running. Now here's the question, what is God doing? Why would God do this to Samuel? Because certainly God could have revealed himself to Samuel in such a way that Samuel would have known that it was God. Because God did that on other occasions in Scripture. He showed up to somebody and they knew it was God when he showed up. But on this occasion, he allows Samuel to think that it's Eli. Why would God do this? Well, here's what I believe. I believe God has to know. Will this young man respond in faithfulness even with an old senile man? Will he respond in faithfulness with the heart of a servant when it's hard, when it's inconvenient? See, you see, if God is gonna raise him up and elevate him to the head of the prophetic order, we've gotta know, will he be faithful? 
Will he have the, the heart of a servant? See, young men and women, listen to me today. In order to be in service to God, to be used by God, to be great for God, you don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be beautiful. You don't have to be handsome. You don't have to have a degree, but you must be faithful. God has to know that he can trust you to obey him even when it's not easy, even when it's inconvenient. Will you trust him? Will you be faithful? And not just will you be faithful, but will you demonstrate a heart of service? Because listen, if you take a man and you elevate him to a position of leadership and he doesn't have a heart of service, you will only give him a greater opportunity for abuse. See also King Saul. See also Eli and his boys. You take men and elevate them to leadership and they have no character. They have no faithfulness. They have no heart of a service. service. They just become these men who abuse. You'll see it with Saul. Throughout First and Second Samuel, you're gonna get a good picture of leaders who abuse and use people and you'll see a picture of leaders who serve and bless. And God's gotta know If I'm gonna use this Samuel, I gotta know, will he be faithful? Will he be attentive? Will he have the heart of a servant? How do you know, by the way, how do you know if you really have a heart of a servant? How do you know if you really have the heart of a servant? Listen, anybody can teach on service and humility. God doesn't wanna see, well, can Samuel preach a good sermon on service? He doesn't care. How do you know that you're a servant? Here's how you know. How do you respond when you're treated like a servant? That's how you know. That's when the truth is revealed. Anybody can write about service. Anybody can talk about humility. But the question is, how do you respond when you're treated like a servant? And so God's got to know, will he respond like a servant when he's treated like a servant? powerful picture of the faithfulness of Samuel. And it says here that Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. Now, it's said of Eli and his sons, we studied this last week in 2.12, that they didn't know the Lord. Um, Here, it says Samuel didn't know the Lord with one addition. What's the addition? It says he did not yet know the Lord. See, the picture is with Eli and his sons, they didn't know the Lord because they didn't want to know the Lord. The picture of Eli is he didn't yet know the Lord. Now, what does that mean? I think the next phrase gives us some clarification. Nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. Meaning that Samuel has yet to hear that audible voice of God that inaugurates in his life what will be the prophetic role. Certainly, I think Samuel knew spiritually about God. He's been serving God. But he hasn't yet heard God speak to him in a personal way. And here, he's going to have an experience of God that he's never known before. And it's going to be the beginning of really God's great work in Samuel's life. To me, there's a powerful picture here that all of us, um, at some point or another, if we know Jesus Christ, we've trusted him as, as our personal Lord and Savior. It's because at some point or another, God spoke personally to us. 
For me, it was the final night of a revival service at Clearview Baptist Church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Listen, I had heard the gospel a whole bunch of times. Did I know about God? Oh, I knew about God. Did I know about God spiritually? Yeah, I grew up in a home where the word of God was taught regularly. We knew all about Jesus. But I'll tell you what, on that night, the final night of revival service, I heard the gospel proclaimed, and in my heart, God spoke to me personally. And I knew I was a sinner, and I knew Jesus Christ was my only means of salvation. There's a powerful picture here of a young man who knew about God. He's serving God as best he can, but he had not experienced God in this way, which God spoke to him audibly. It'll be the beginning of God's work in Samuel's life. So listen to what it says, verse eight. So the Lord called Samuel again for a third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And it shall be if he call you that you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so at this point, Eli discerns that God is calling Samuel. Now, now what does this mean for Eli? What, what, what does it mean? He discerns. He knows now. This is, he, he's not just confused. God, God is speaking to Samuel. What does that mean for Eli? It means, Eli, you're done. Because God is saying to Eli, I'm now bypassing you. You've been so obstinate in your disobedience that I'm gonna bypass you, I'm gonna go around you and I'm gonna start speaking to this young man, Samuel. It's God saying to Eli, you're fired. Now you don't think that must have been a kick in the gut for him? Boy, it must have hit him like a ton of bricks. What's interesting to me about Eli at this moment, and we know all about his unfaithfulness, but at this moment, Eli's got a choice. He could have tried to sabotage the work of God in Samuel's life. And uh, I don't know why. Maybe he was under the realization that there's no use in trying to prevent God from doing what God is going to do. So I might as well help God in this work that God is doing in Samuel's life. I don't know why. But certainly there's still some redeeming qualities in Eli's life. And he challenges Samuel. It's interesting. He basically says to Samuel, now it's your time to step up, buddy. God's speaking to you. And when you hear his voice this next time, here's how you respond. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And Eli is going to not begrudge Samuel in the role that he is calling him into, but he is going to support him and help him as God transitions leadership from Eli to Samuel. It's a beautiful picture for any successful transition from one generation to the next. You have to have two things. You have to have young men who are faithful with the heart of a servant, and you have to have elders who do not begrudge the next generation, but seek to help and support young men who God is growing in leadership. You know the other picture that you see here? You know, a lot of people, they get worried. Boy, we see the older generation, and there's these old men of, that we looked up to, and they're passing away. You know what's a good reminder? God always has somebody coming after them. And so God is going to raise up Samuel, and it's the moment. This is kind of the passing of the torch. And so he gives Samuel instruction. Look at verse 10. And then the Lord came and stood and called us at other times. Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. The Lord came, the Lord stood. 
We don't know exactly. There's a lot of conjecture on whether or not this was a pre-incarnate Christ. I'm not sure. But what I want us to focus most on, and we'll look more at this in, in, in due time, but what I want us to mo- most notice here is Samuel's posture before the Lord. Now certainly he's been given instruction in Eli, from Eli, and he doesn't even completely follow through on the instruction, does he? He leaves out a word, he leaves out Lord, which is pretty significant. But I think I'll cut him some slack. God's standing in front of him. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but the Lord stood before him, and I'll cut him some slack for missing a word. But the point here, the picture here is, can you imagine Samuel for the first time realizing he's in the presence of God, the very presence of God, and he hears God speak, and his posture is, speak for your servant is listening. And I think it is a good example of how you and I must be in our posture before the Lord if we want to hear his voice. We we come before the Lord as humble servants just seeking to listen to his voice. Now certainly Samuel's going to hear the audible voice of God in this prophetic role that God is calling him into. But for you and I, how do we hear the the word of God in our life? How do you and I hear the voice of God in our life? The word of God is contained in the 66 books of this Bible. It's It's our only rule of doctrine. Which means for us, if we want to hear God's voice, we must read our Bibles. You must read your Bible. And when you read the Bible, you come as a humble servant. You humble yourself before God, just seeking to listen and hear his voice. Meaning, when you come before God's word, if you really want to hear God's voice, his word, you have to take time. It can't just be a five-minute. Listen, I'm all for reading the Bible. If you only get five minutes in, get five minutes in. But I'm, I'm telling you this morning, you want to hear God's voice in your life, you got to take a little time. And you can't simply read the Bible like some textbook or a history book. It is history. But you come before the Word of God in humility taking time and crying out to him to hear his voice because it's not just a purely intellectual endeavor. It involves our intellect. We don't check our minds at the door when we want to hear God's voice. But most importantly, it's a spiritual endeavor whereby we ask God to make his word living in our lives. We all know those moments in our lives when we're studying God's word and it's just another text where we're just reading a book. But then there's those moments when you get in God's word and you hear his voice. And he speaks to you in an audible way. And you realize that the God of all the universe loves you. Can you imagine how profound this must have been in Samuel's life? What a privilege for us to know that through the power of the Holy Spirit residing in us and with the word of God in front of us, we have the opportunity to experience, at least to some measure, what Samuel experienced in that moment every day of our lives. I think here in Samuel, as we just look at these first 10 verses, we get a good picture of what it means to be great for God. 
You know what it means, what it looks like to be great for God? It means that wherever you're at today, you're serving in faithfulness. You may not be where you want to be, but I can tell you this, God has you right where he wants you. And your job is just to be faithful. And I know some days it's hard. It can be incredibly difficult. One of the most difficult things to do can be just to trust God in the simple, ordinary things when you're in the midst of a darkness or you're in the midst of some kind of trial. The picture is you want to be great for God, just trust him in the daily, ordinary activities of life wherever you're at. Second thing, wherever you're at, seek to be a servant. You want to be great for God, you must be a servant. In God's kingdom, the way up is down. The way to greatness is through service. Are you being faithful where you're at? Are you seeking to serve the Lord? And finally, are you hearing God's voice on a regular basis in your life? Because what will get Samuel through I truly believe this because the circumstance of Samuel's life is going to go like this. He's going to have some very frustrating days when the nation is going to walk in disobedience. They're going to want to ignore him. The circumstances of Samuel's life go like this. And yet Samuel is like this. Why? Because regardless of the circumstances, the one constant in his life is that he's a man who's walking in faithfulness, serving the Lord, and hearing his voice. I don't know about you, but what gets me through on the difficult days is getting alone with God in his word and hearing his voice. Can I just ask you today, are you serving the Lord in faithfulness? When was the last time you heard his voice in your life? You know, there's a lady by the name of Louisa uh, Hart, or Louisa Stead, born in 19, or 1850. Married 1875, had a daughter, Lily. When the child was four, they went to the beach. They were having a picnic lunch. They heard the cries of a drowning boy, and her husband, Mr. Stead, jumped out in the water and immediately went to rescue this boy who was drowning. As he was grabbing this boy and trying to pull him back to shore, the struggle of the boy pulled him under, and they both drowned. Louisa said, these were the comments. She said, a believer must learn to exercise such a strong trust in God's providence in good times that when the troubles come and the doubts arise, trusting Jesus will just become the normal pattern of your life. Meaning we, we, we just walk in faithfulness. When things, when things are good, we just walk in faithfulness. Then when the tough things come, guess what we do? We just keep walking in faithfulness. We don't understand sometimes. We get angry. We get frustrated. We just keep walking in faithfulness. She said this as well. I love this. I will not doubt God in the dark because I've learned to really trust him in the light. She went on to write that hymn that we love, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.'" just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the, word, the Lord. This morning, I don't know where you're at. Do you trust Jesus? It's not easy some days. We're gonna sing this hymn. I'm just gonna tell you if, I don't care what you're going through today, would you be willing to tell Jesus you trust him? I'm gonna ask you to sing. Listen, if this is not the attitude of your heart today, you may not wanna listen. 
may not want to sing the words. But I'm telling you, it's a sweet thing to trust Jesus. So let's stand together. Pastor Bill's going to lead us in this, and then we'll enter into a time of invitation. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, and just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust. going to enter into a time of response. Maybe you're here this morning and the Lord has been working in your heart and you know you're a sinner. I would tell you today, trust in Jesus. God opposes the proud. If you're here today, you say, well, you know what? I'm going to get before God one day. I'm going to tell him all the good work I've done. I'm trusting in me. Listen to me. God opposes the proud. But if you're here today, you know you're a sinner. You know you've been humbled before the Lord in the depths of your sin. The good news is God gives grace to the humble. If you're here today, you know you're a sinner. You've never trusted in Christ. I pray that you would do so. We'll have pastors here at the front love to talk with you. Maybe you just want to pray. Pray with the pastor. Pray where we're, right where you're at. Maybe you would like to unite with our church family. You've been through our membership process. But know this today. You'll never regret obeying Jesus. So you respond as we sing.